Would you stand up on your feet and help me welcome today Misty Waldrop. She's going to bring the message. Good morning. It is so good to be here. I am so honored to get this opportunity. I don't take this opportunity lightly. And so I'm very thankful for the invitation. And I've just loved being here in Texas. It's been fun uh, looking around and visiting around Wichita Falls. So we're excited to be here. And like Ben said, we've been friends for a long time. When I, The first time we went into Daystar, uh, I met Annalise. And she and I were both pregnant with our oldest kids. And... Um, we just became friends immediately. She, Annalise has a way to make you feel so welcome and draw you right in. And uh, like he said, we've just done life together. And it is very exciting for us to come here and just see the vision and the heart of Ben and Annalise just burst into life. It's really cool and it's fun. And uh, I know that you know this, but uh, their heart of service and their work ethic is second to none. So you have the best here. And I just appreciate the opportunity to be here. And I, I have a word today for you that I hope is encouraging to you. I hope it brings a little bit of challenge at the same time. So I'm excited to get into that. Um, we do live in Coleman, Alabama. And in Coleman, or really in our part of Alabama, we have a very active tornado season. I don't know how it is here for you guys, but in March and April, we just know that we need to get ready and uh, tornado season is coming. And in fact, in Alabama, if you say April 27th, everybody knows that was the day where all these tornadoes came through and they caused all kind of devastation and lives were lost. But because it's so active there, a lot of people have basements or storm shelters. And we built a house a few years ago and we didn't build a basement. It's one of those things we wished we would have done. But uh, so we've been kind of looking around at shelters, and there's a company in our area that says that their shelter can withstand an EF5 tornado. And so, of course, if you're looking at the pictures and you see devastation all around, but you see that shelter standing firm and strong, you're like, I think we need one of those. And you know, I don't have to question if I need a shelter because I just know where we live and I know storms are going to come. And isn't life a little bit like that? that we don't have to wonder if hard times are going to come. We live in this crazy world, and we know we will have trouble. Jesus even promised us that in this world we would have trouble. And, um, so, and I don't have to question if I need a shelter because I know where I live. Um, just in our close family of friends and uh, close circle of family and friends, we have people going through things like the death of a spouse and cancer and depression, and anxiety, suicide, and some other mental health issues. I mean, that's just people we know. I'm not talking about Facebook friends. I'm talking about people we know. And so when I hear a new story, I'm like, God, could I withstand that? Like, that's a heavy load to bear. Could I stand during that storm? And um, even as I question that, I look over my last year, and I don't know how your last year has been, but it, we had probably the most challenging year that we've ever had as a family. And um, I can't share all the details of everything that happened because it's not all my story to share, but I can tell you that something that I saw as foundational in my life was shaken to the core. And if you look around, it looks broken and the pieces are, are lying on the ground. And there's times where I felt like, well, I just, I mean, I've lost everything. I just, you know, you feel like hope is lost sometimes, but God has shown me that it's kind of like if you were in a storm shelter in the middle of a tornado, 
and you come out when it's over and you look around and the devastation is heartbreaking. There's pieces lying everywhere. There's a lot of work and restoration to be done. And the end product might not look like what I had in mind, but my foundation is firm. And I just want to talk about living in that firm foundation in our crazy world. And Jesus talks about that firm foundation in Matthew 7. And I want to start in verse 21, because I think this context is important to a verse that we know well, but I think what becomes what comes before it is just as important. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, he's saying this right after he's just shared the Sermon on the Mount, and he's detailed how to live the heart of the kingdom, not rules to follow, but the heart of God. And so at the end of this rich teaching, Jesus says that those who do the will of the Father will enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so that's the context. And in verse 24, he continues, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Okay, so all these words he's just spoken. We put them into practice. It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down. The streams rose and the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. I want you to see that when we live in God's kingdom and when we build our life on the rock, that is a shelter that can withstand whatever life may throw at you. It doesn't matter the circumstance, the foundation stands firm. And I want to spend my life building my house on that foundation. See, Jesus came announcing that the kingdom is here. Did you know that was the gospel that he preached? The kingdom is here. See, we're not waiting for the kingdom to come when we die. We're not waiting for the kingdom to come when Jesus comes back. Jesus said the kingdom of God is here. And so we get to have access to that kingdom here and now on earth. I know we're waiting for a day when the kingdom is fully restored in all of its fullness here on earth. But until that time, we have access to the kingdom here. And in fact, in John, I mean, in Revelation, John states, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, he has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. So we get the privilege to be priests in that kingdom and to bring God's kingdom to earth. And here's the comforting part. Just like that tornado shelter, this is a kingdom. In Hebrews 12, 28, it says that is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So when I'm a part of his kingdom, it's his rule, his authority, and his agenda. So God gave us dominion here on earth, but we get the opportunity to submit that dominion under his rule and under his authority, and that is a divine partnership. And he invites us even to that divine partnership when he teaches us how to pray. So I think you probably all know the Lord's Prayer, um, but we're going to put up just the beginning part of that because I want us to recite it together. 
And I'm a school teacher, and I can see you out there. So if you're not participating in my classroom, I hand out tickets. So we might could have some tickets. If you're not participating, we'll hand those out. Okay, so let's read this or say this together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, let's stop right there. I want us to say that part again. Everybody say, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Okay, so see, every day we get a chance to either build our kingdom or God's kingdom. And a lot of us have accepted Jesus as our savior. We come to church, we go to small group, we listen to worship music driving down the road. But in our reactions, in our decisions, and our attitudes, sometimes we act like Jesus said, my kingdom come and my will be done. You ever feel like that? Okay, I got my life going just like I like it. You see this? This is going good. I got this going good. Don't touch any of it. Don't ask me to change any of it. I've got my kingdom going. This is good, right? And then when life comes along and one little part of our kingdom gets moved, we flip out and we start panicking and we try to fix it all. And that's because we've got our kingdom built. And, and when we spend our days investing in our kingdom, God will let us live in that kingdom. He will. But I have come to realize that there is not an earthly kingdom that I can build that will withstand the test of time. But when I choose to build God's kingdom here on earth, I get to live and flourish in partnership with the creator of heaven and earth. And that is the most safe shelter that we can be in. Um, and no matter what we face, no matter what circumstances come, it's our job to bring God's kingdom to the people around us. You know, sometimes if I find myself reacting out of the flesh, I think it's because my kingdom is threatened um, or because I want my kingdom to look good. And I might see things like fear or worry or anxiety or anger come out or slander or gossip because I'm protecting my kingdom. But when I stop and say, thy kingdom come, I'm looking at how can I bring God's kingdom in this situation? And I think the best way to learn how to live in the kingdom is to look at the one whose every breath with everything he did he brought God's kingdom on earth. So we're going to look at four situations with Jesus today. We're just going to kind of pop in and learn from him. How did he bring God's kingdom? And as we do this, I want you to understand that Jesus, when he came to earth, he was fully human. The Bible says that the word became flesh. And that word flesh in the Greek is the word sarx. It means our carnality, what makes us human. Jesus totally laid down um, who he was, even though he was the embodiment of God, and he became human. And he was 100% dependent upon God. So I just want us to uh, keep that in mind as we go through these um, ways that Jesus brought kingdom. So I want us to say when it's thy kingdom come, not my kingdom come, Number one, you always look for ways to serve those around you to bring God's kingdom into their lives, regardless of your circumstances. Uh, looking outside of our needs and serving others can be hard on a good day, right? 
But you give, you give us a bad day, you throw something our way, um, maybe some hardship or devastation, loss, anger, fill in the blank, whatever it is. When we're going through that, serving others is not usually our first response. Uh, I know um, when I face something, it's not my first thought to go serve somebody else. But I'm sure you've heard about Jesus feeding the 5,000. Have y'all all heard that story? Okay, but there's something in the story that I just recently paid attention to that really struck me. So I want to give you a little, what happened right before that is um, John the Baptist is in prison, and Herod has put him there. And Herod's having a birthday party, and he's got all his dinner guests there. And his stepdaughter came out and danced for them. And um, he, they all loved it so much that he was like, you can have whatever you want. And there's a lot of backstory to this that I don't have time for, but her mother was, said, we want the head of John the Baptist. And so really kind of against what he wanted to do, he had John the Baptist beheaded in prison. We read these stories sometimes like they're stories, but, but it was life, okay? So John the Baptist is in prison. He gets beheaded. And I want to pick up in Matthew 14, 12. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. See, they would have gone and told Jesus because uh, they have a relationship. Uh, Jesus and John the Baptist were cousins, first of all. They literally known each other from the womb, if you all know that story. And um, there are some scholars that believe that uh, Jesus could have even been under John, and John could have been his rabbi. We know that John baptized Jesus. So there's a relationship there, however close they were. We can see from what happened next that Jesus needed a moment when he got this news. Because it says they went and told Jesus, and then next it says, when Jesus heard what happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. So obviously Jesus was affected by this, and he needed some time to pray and deal with all of that. But I want you to pay attention to what follows after that. We're going to pick up in verse 13. It says, hearing of this, of Jesus going off, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he ran and hid. Is that what it says? But I think that's what I would do. Like if I'm trying to retreat and get some time alone and people are following me and they need something, I'm going to go hide, right? That's not what Jesus did. It says he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they could go to villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. And so next we see the story of Jesus and the disciples feeding the 5,000 um, with their loaves of bread and their fish. And what a miracle that is. But I want you to see where that miracle came right in the midst of him receiving some horrible news. I want you to see what it says next. It says, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. See, I know myself when tragedy hits. When I get the worst news, a lot of times I try to start protecting my kingdom. We had a situation this year in our family that really just came out of nowhere, and it hit me like a Mack truck, if you know what that is. It's like, gosh, I wasn't expecting that. And... Um, it made me start just protecting my kingdom and try to solve it my way. You know, and when you do that, you get things like the anxiety that I had been freed from, it returned. Uh, I had to deal with anger and unforgiveness because I'm trying to protect and keep my kingdom safe. Um, and 
I tread lightly here because I know many of you have probably been through some really rough trials that life can bring you. But I want you to see that right in the middle of tragedy, Jesus brought kingdom. And just as he had received the news of this horrible death, he served the people in front of him. He didn't ignore his need to be alone and pray, but he trusted the Father to meet that need so much that he went ahead and served. Uh, I read this statement recently, and I just thought it was so good when we're facing struggles. It says, and this is by Dallas Willard, standing in the kingdom, we make responsible decisions in love with assurance that how things turn out for us does not really matter that much. Because in any case, we are in the kingdom of the heavens. In that kingdom, nothing that can happen to us is the end of the world. Nothing that can happen to us in God's kingdom is the end of the world. We're already his. We're already in his kingdom. So when trials come, I know that I'm about to see the faithfulness of God come through. I know that I'm going to see God work. And it might not be the dream that I've put in my head. It might not be the timeline that I expect, but I know that I'm his daughter and I am living in his kingdom. And because he's taking care of me, I can go out and serve others when it's thy kingdom come. All right, when it's thy kingdom come, not my kingdom come, you see others' failures as a chance to relinquish control. See, one sure way for me to recognize that I'm not trusting God is I start trying to control people and situations. Um, And if I'm operating in God's kingdom, he's the ruler He's the ultimate authority, and he knows what people need way more than I do. See, I have this gift. Some of you might have this gift. I like to make people, wait, no, I like to motivate people to change. Does anybody have that gift? Like, I can see what's wrong with you. I can explain it to you in detail, and I can give you steps to fix your problem. Ask my husband or my kids. It's probably what makes me a good teacher, right? But when I step in and I try to take God's place and I try to manipulate you to change and become who I think God's called you to be, then I'm not trusting God to work in your life. And I'm trying to build my kingdom, not God's. I want us to see how Jesus handled this situation. We're going to fast forward a little bit. And in Luke 22, 31, Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Do you know what Jesus did? Did you see what happened when he was faced with Peter's imminent failure? He knew Peter was about to fail. Did you see what he did? He prayed. He didn't come in and give him a sermon on how to resist temptation at that moment. He didn't come in and miraculously rewire his brain. He totally could have done that. He didn't. He prayed and trusted God to handle Peter. And we do see Peter falter, but we see Peter rise up as one of the greatest leaders in the church. And um, if you're waiting for someone to change, to be freed, to come into the kingdom of God, I just encourage you to pray for that person and step back and watch God work. 
See, I think our response to fix people comes from a fear that God can't handle it. We know how to fix it. We know the path to freedom, and we know what they need to do, so we prod and push instead of just demonstrating a quiet trust that our Father knows them way more than we do, and He's got it handled. Um, God might call you to speak to them and, and speak wisdom into their lives, but that should come from obedience and trust. And I believe that as we do that, we can pray for that person to find their place in God's kingdom and said, how can they serve me in my kingdom? Okay, so that's when we are bringing God's kingdom. Number three, when it's thy kingdom come, not my kingdom come, you see personal struggles with obedience as a chance to submit to a loving, all-knowing God. Jesus faced one of the strongest struggles of wills I think we will ever see in the Garden of Gethsemane. So we're going to fast forward to that. In Matthew 26, 36, it says, Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. We read over that fast sometimes, but do you know when you're sorrowful and troubled, it doesn't feel good. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed or crushed with grief, with sorrow to the point of death. Okay, Jesus has anguish here to the point of death. I want you to think about your most sorrowful, troubled times. Jesus is there. And I want to remind you that he is fully human in this situation. He knows what's coming, and I don't think he's excited about it. He is feeling the stress of it. In Luke's account of the story, it even says that Jesus sweat drops of blood, that he fell to the ground on his face and prayed. So just all of these physical reactions are just struggle. We see Jesus struggling with his will here. But he goes on and he says, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, he had his will going on, but not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. So even though we see this intense struggle in the garden, we see a beautiful submission to the Father. Jesus didn't hide a struggle. He didn't go to God and, okay, let's change your plan a little bit, God. I think I've got a better idea. He didn't go and try to change God's mind or change his plan. He prayed and he submitted to the Father. And there's going to be times where God is asking you to obey, and it might be a struggle of wills. Have you ever done that? Have you ever stepped out in obedience after a struggle of wills? See, because in what we do is we build in our mind what our dreams look like. In America, we call it the American dream. We even have a name for it, right? And we know how we're going to get there. We're going to work hard. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We got it all planned out, and it looks really good. And then God comes along and asks us to do something, and we're like, uh, that can't be. 
that can't be God because that's messing up what I've got going on here, right? That's messing up my idea of my beautiful kingdom. That looks more like service and sacrifice than it does my dream. Surely that's not God. See, sometimes God's kingdom and building God's kingdom is going to leave your dreams broken, but it's going to be a beautiful rebuilding of his dreams. How much more beautiful are his dreams than ours? See, uh, years ago, we were faced with an opportunity to take some children into our home that weren't ours. It's a really long story that I don't have time to tell, but it was an emergency situation. Uh, we weren't expecting it. And I was a stay-at-home mom, and Andrea was a state trooper. So once we got that phone call, all these fears hit me. And I was like, well, we don't have enough space for that because we didn't have enough space for that. And we don't have enough money for that because we didn't have enough money for that. And I can't raise my two kids. and th- I don't have what it takes to raise ours and somebody else's for a while. And that's true, I didn't. And so all these fears were hitting me and um, we just prayed, God, we need some direction. And we clearly, clearly got direction that this was what we were supposed to do. So we had a chance right then to submit to God or to submit to our plans and fear. And so we submitted, and I just wanted to tell you that God provided in miraculous ways. We have story after story how God came through, and he was so faithful during that time. We weren't perfect, but God was perfect. And I truly believe that that obedience allowed us to bring God's kingdom to those kids during that time in their life when they so desperately needed. See, we can say, no way, God, I'm not doing that. You're messing up my kingdom I've got going on. Or we can submit and watch him work beautiful redemption in our lives and in the people around us when it's his kingdom come. All right, lastly, when it's thy kingdom come, not my kingdom come, you see wrongs done to you as an opportunity to love and show the forgiveness of God. I know we're all familiar with what Jesus said when he was being crucified, um, just after he's been mocked and beaten and flogged and they are killing him, he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. So right there in the middle of all that, his love is just overflowing and he forgives them while they are killing him. See, I don't know what you might be holding on to unforgiveness for, but I guarantee you it pales in comparison to what Jesus was facing. I just don't think there's anything worse. Um, And I, you know, recently went through a struggle with a decision to forgive. One of the hardest, like, I thought I had forgiveness under the belt. I can forgive. I, I do that all the time. I've got this one. I can forgive. But then I had a chance to forgive in one of the hardest situations. And um, I just didn't think I could do it. I thought if I forgave, well, this person's going to think what they did was fine, or they're going to stay the same way they are. They're, they're not going to change. They're going to think their mistakes are fine. And I was listening to a podcast one day, and it said, when we don't forgive others, we don't do that because we don't think God can handle justice. We think it's our job to handle it out. And uh, we say, God, I've got this. I'll handle the judgment. I'll handle the consequences. I'll let this person learn their lesson from me. Here you go. My kingdom come. 
But in Matthew 18, Jesus tells the parable of the unforgiving debtor. See, this guy, he was forgiven of so, so, so much. But when one person owed him just a little something, he wouldn't forgive. And Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. See, you can't bring the kingdom of God and be in unforgiveness. You can't even be forgiven and be in unforgiveness. And sometimes that's a hard pill to swallow. And I just encourage you, if you need help with that, talk to your pastor, uh, talk to a counselor. There's some great resources I read. The book, the book that helped me the most was um, Forgiving What You Can't Forget by Lisa Turkhurst. And it really walked me through that process of forgiving. And there's such freedom in that. Um, so you may be thinking of all these things we've just mentioned. Well, how can I live in God's kingdom? How can I bring forgiveness? And how can I let go of the things that I want so much? Um, How can I do that on a daily basis? And I know that God moves supernaturally in our lives, but He calls us to make room for Him. And so if we're gonna build our house upon a rock, we gotta have a plan. You know, when you build a house, you've got to have a plan. And I think um, that when we face that, We are in partnership with Christ. And when I'm looking at my day, it's not what am I going to do, but what are Jesus and I going to do? I I just think you should ask that question more. When something happens, what are Jesus and I going to do about this situation? And so I want to just tell you, this is in closing, four things that we see Jesus do on a regular basis that helps bring God's kingdom on earth. See, we need to be obsessed. How did Jesus live? How did he act? And how can I do that on a daily basis? Of all the things you're obsessed with, we have a lot of them. Of all the things we're obsessed with, is Jesus's life one of those things? And as we look at Jesus's life, I think we can see four practices that um, help him bring the kingdom to earth. Number one is silence and solitude. Uh, Jesus practiced this on a regular basis. He would go off to pray. We see him go off for 40 days in the wilderness. I think we have a hard time with 40 minutes. I think some of us have a hard time with 40 seconds of solitude and silence, putting our phones down, getting totally by ourselves, and just being with the Father. But if Jesus, the Son of God, needed solitude and silence, Don't you think we do too? Um, Just to hear God's voice. So I think that as we do that, that's how we hear the Father impart kingdom into our hearts. And number two goes right in line with that, and that's becoming a student of Scripture. See, Jesus, he was in a culture where he would have been expected. The whole education system was just built around learning the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. He would have been expected even to memorize it and to apply it. And you see him um, in synagogues discussing it and debating it and learning it. Jesus was immersed in that. I know he was the son of God, but the Bible says he grew in stature. His mind didn't come preloaded with all the scriptures. He actually had to study and learn that. And so as he learned that, um, he was able to bring life to the people around him. So I encourage you to go on a journey of becoming a student of scripture. There are so many resources for you to do that. Um, I've asked God, you know, over the past several years, 
when I read the Bible, I'll have questions. I'll write those questions down and ask God, you know, help me answer those. And he's brought me across podcasts and books that have helped me just dig deep into the context and meaning of scripture. It's been kind of fun even. So I encourage you to do that. And then number three goes right along with this solitude, silence, scripture is worship and prayer. We see Jesus on a regular basis going to the Father in prayer. The Son of God spent time in prayer and we think we can make it through our day sometimes without stopping and spending time in prayer. And just hand in hand with that is worship. And I know we just spent time in worship singing, but that's not all worship is. Worship is bringing worth and value to God on a daily basis. So I encourage you to take that time to spend in worship and prayer, and you will see a level of intimacy that you've never had before. And that intimacy will bring opportunities for you to just live God's kingdom and to bring it to those around you. And lastly, we see this all throughout Jesus's life. I know we've already talked about service but service to others. Um, Jesus says in Matthew 25, when he shares this parable of the sheep and the goats, he says that those um, who serve are promised the kingdom of God. Those who don't pass up the opportunity to feed the hungry, to give a drink to those who are thirsty, to clothe those in need, to visit the sick, to visit those in prison, Those are the ones in that parable who inherited the kingdom of God. And your church provides such an awesome opportunity. You've already heard Ben talk about Serve Week coming up. You guys have had Love Week. You, I mean, you have an opportunity every week to just jump in and serve here. Even when we got here, there were people getting ready for the summer blast, decorating, working. And um, I loved seeing, even on Facebook, when the winter storm came through, how City Hope just served. You brought the kingdom of God to this community. So you have an opportunity to jump in, roll up your sleeves and get to work. And the fun thing is, and the most comforting thing is, is that while you are serving, God is taking care of you. He's taking care of your needs. I'm not making that up. The Bible said that I love this um, this translation of Matthew 6. It says, don't worry about things saying, what are we gonna eat? Or will we have anything to drink? Or what will we wear? For the Father, the one in the heavens around you, knows you need these things. Instead, make it your top priority to be a part of what God is doing and have the kind of goodness He has. Everything else you need. Did y'all hear that? Everything else you need will be provided. Your top priority is to bring the kingdom of God. And as you are doing that, He is right there behind you, just taking care of you. You don't even have to worry about it. So I just encourage you moment by moment, day by day, just stop and say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You might not even have to say it, just think it. Father, right now, as I look around, how can I bring your kingdom? Whether you're at work, whether you're at the store waiting on the cashier to ring you up, whether you're dealing with your family or your friends or your kids, God, right now, 
how can I bring your kingdom? What if we stopped sometimes before we reacted and said, how can I bring your kingdom right here, God, not mine? I believe that we would start to see His kingdom come to a culture that so desperately needs it and longs for it. So I encourage you on a daily basis to surrender that. Just like we said earlier, you know, I'm surrendering everything, God. We sang that. Let's live it. I want us to pray. I want you to bow your heads. And I just want you to evaluate your heart, your motives. And I just encourage you to surrender today your kingdom to His kingdom, to bring it in submission to God. So if you're sitting there and you're like, God, I've been building my kingdom and I'm tired and I wanna be in that safe place, in the shelter of the Most High. Psalms 91 says, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. So if that's you, if you're tired of building your kingdom and you want to make that transition and say, God, I surrender everything, I'd like you to raise your hand and I'd like to pray for you today. Thank you, God, for these hearts, Father, of surrender. God, right now, I just pray over every person and over those that are raising their hands and saying, God, I'm tired of building my kingdom and I want to build yours. Lord, I just pray that you supernaturally rush in, Father, with your grace and your strength and your comfort, God, and that you help us on a daily basis to see the people around us that need you, God, those we can serve, those that we can forgive, those that we can just bring your kingdom, God, and help us to look to you in those times. Moment by moment, day by day, help us to surrender our kingdom in Jesus' name. And now I want to um, just, to those who are here, that you're not in God's kingdom, that you've never made that decision to be a part of God's kingdom, to surrender your whole life. If you're here and you would like to surrender your life to Jesus, I'd like you to raise your hand. And we want to pray all together, there may be some of you here that for the first time, you just wanna make that decision. So let's pray this prayer today. Say, Father, I thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. I thank you that you love me so much that you gave your son and that he is alive with you. And I accept his payment for my sin and I surrender my life to you. I wanna step into your kingdom, into your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for the lives that were surrendered today. And thank you so much for having me. I'm gonna turn it over to Ben. Thank you. Come on, let's thank Misty today. Let's thank her. Thank you so much. What a message.